great eyes to say. Hi, my name is Jamie Roberts. And I'm Robert Lendrum. And this is the Running Scared Podcast. Where we review the films that had you running away, but coming back for more. Rob, I am very excited to do tonight's film. Me too, I've been waiting. Yeah, we've been waiting a long time to do this, so I think we should just sort of um, get right to the chase here. But first... First, we do this. <laughs> Crack a cold one. Because I've been looking forward to this one, I gotta tell you. And I've been looking forward to potting all week because we knocked out a few things this week because we worked ahead. So you got your first um, terrified, uh, terrifying tracks went out on Tuesday. Our jog cast went out last Tuesday. And then, you know, it's been a busy time because Christmas is around the corner and we're doing a bunch of stuff. And uh, I've been, we haven't been able to do like a film review. And um, man, I've been looking forward to this one because I watched it like over a week ago and I thought we were going to do it last week, but we, you know, we did other things. Anyway, all to say, I love this, like, I love sci fi horror. So I'm kind of jacked about this one. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I, I've watched it four times since you watched it the first time. And uh, yeah, no, Terrifying Tracks got out. It's been really good. We had the jaw cast go out really good. I thought what you were going to do is you were going to you're going to crack that beer and pour one out for our poor Hamilton Tie Cats who oh. unfortunately lost the Grey Cup oh. in overtime to you the know, Winnipeg Blue Bombers after Zach Calaris threw two interceptions in the third quarter. But anyways, I yeah, digress. So back. I, I'm not even a big football fan. I'm a sports guy. You're a sports guy, but I'm a sports guy. Like, but it's part of my job. I don't follow football that much. And I know there's a, like uh, a real divide in this, like a, a line in the sand between CFL and NFL fans. Although there are like a lot of fans who are like, I just like football. I can watch both, which seems like a smarter way to approach both games. But those of you who are not from Canada, CFL is a Canadian football league. It's a little different. It's got different <laughs> rules. Such three as down football. Three down football, which means a lot more throwing. There's a lot more space. The end zone's double the size of the American one. Uh, it's a wider field. So the idea is to create more more action, basically more throwing, more, more turnovers, more, yeah, more passing and the ball and the, the possession changes a lot more often, but that OT or that ending. And then the OT is Canadian football, like in a bow, like it was crazy, um, super intense, super, super stressful, like lots of things happening, people scoring back and forth and then like pushing it, like getting all the way to the one yard line. And they had to kick it because they just didn't have the, the downs to make two attempts for the TD. Anyway, there's a good display of why that game is still kind of fun. If you're not a CFL fan, I get it, but like, Hey, but I will, I will say this just for the listeners out there, you know, you might be listening from who, whoever, but um, Rob's moved to Hamilton here, but he, so he lives by the stadium and you know, it's it not like, it's not like how stadiums are in other cities where you go downtown and, you know, I, I know a lot of them are down by the water or they're in the downtown core. The Ticats field, Tim Hortons field is in a neighborhood. So essentially you yeah. walk down a street and there's houses and then there's this big fucking football stadium. Yeah. It's very similar. And the houses all have flags on them. People are parking yeah. in your front yard, like people yeah. tailgate. Yeah, very, yeah, very similar to like how European soccer is, right? We have the stadiums in some of those neighborhoods and, you know, um, anyways, I can go on about this, but it was unfortunate that we lost the game. Everybody was really excited for the, for the game, the win. Unfortunately, we just didn't pull it out, but you know what? Hamilton's got a great franchise. It's a great football city, and I know we'll back. We'll be back here again next year. So hey, another thing, Jamie, uh, did you hear? Oh, okay. Anne Rice passed away. I saw that. Yeah, I yeah. I think she was in her nineties. Oh, yeah, I think she's in her eighties. Yeah, or or older, but yeah, no, an amazing author and definitely worth a mention. Yeah, thanks for the memories. Yeah, and and you know, interestingly enough, we just did a vampire jogcast, so. 
uh, you know, she's got some some great books out there. So absolutely, Anne yeah. Rice. We RSVP, can, uh, Anne Rice. Yeah, we can remember her. RSVP. <laughs> that is totally a bit stolen from my favorite Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. They don't say RIP, they say RSVP because it's like a mistake that they picked up on somebody did and they just love reusing it. Yeah, well, anyway. you know what? Star Trek, that's a great segue into doing what we're doing yeah. here right now. So, okay, so here's our movie. This is Event Horizon. This is 1997. This is uh, directed by Paul Anderson, who is a British director. You know this guy from uh, Resident Evil. And what an interesting film. This is really the amalgamation of sci-fi and horror. And this film, you know, anybody that has watched the film, you know, we love it. It's a great movie. It actually didn't do too well at the beginning. No. It's got, it had a huge budget, but actually didn't, um, didn't really resonate, didn't really gain an audience uh, at the movie theaters. And one of the things that I, I found is that it was marketed as a darker version of Star Trek. And then mm. I think when you when you actually like watch this movie, it is no. definitely nothing like a darker version of Star Trek. No, uh, there's there's a whole lot more going on that we'll you know dive into in a little bit. I think they tip the cap to aliens a lot more than oh, they do sure, Star yeah. Trek, like clearly. But I think first, no, I want to do the sixty second plot challenge. Oh, shit. Man. I've, I've not been good at this. Like you've <laughs> been way better at this than me. But I feel like I might be able to bring it tonight. So. Can I go first? All right, Jamie, I'm going to count you down. Three, two, one, begin. So we begin the movie with uh, some type text of uh, a ship that has gone missing. And what eventually happens is they need to assemble a crew in the vein of Armageddon that is on a, a, a search and rescue mission out to the outer banks of Neptune to find a ship that was, uh, you know, doing some experimental work. On the crew is a scientist and then sort of like a bunch of roughneck marine, um, you know, U.S. guys that are going to go out. So what they do is they take the Lewis and Clark, that's the name of the ship, and they go out to the Outer Banks. And what happens is they finally find out that it was a ship that was out to um, do some experimental um, uh Ah, so, oh my god I'm gonna put myself some experimental <laughs> fuck what's the word I'm looking for oh my god 10 seconds is, oh, I just <laughs> the car just ran over the cliff there and your time is up you know I practiced that I actually had some of it written out oh my god that was oh you're awful. cheating you're cheating man we never <laughs> yeah, said well, rules did we exactly but even writing it out. Okay. That was so bad. Oh, okay. Next time um, you're just going to be reading straight out the IMDb. Know, aren't you? like, you're just going to be like, <laughs> Jesus, we have to, we have to come up with a new segment. <laughs> I love this segment because it helps us not do plot. All right, here we go. Okay. Three, two, one, go. The film begins with Weir, a scientist who has been added to a crew of roughnecks, as Jamie called them, who are on a secret mission. He reveals what that mission is as they begin uh, traveling through our solar system towards Neptune. The crew doesn't know what it is, but Weir does. He reveals to them that this is a secret mission to find a ship called the Event Horizon. It was a ship that uh, disappeared in the greatest tragedy known to space travel up to this point. But it turns out, no, not at all. It actually just disappeared and now it's back and we don't know why. So they go to investigate. They get on the ship. It turns out to be very strange and haunting. Things start happening. Their own ship is damaged as they try to dock and then they're stuck there. Now they have to figure, are they going to take the Event Horizon home or their own ship? And they find out that something much more insidious is happening on this ship. 
uh, Weir has created a porthole that the ship is supposed to fly through to another dimension or to get huge distances. And it turns out it's opened a hole to hell. And now they must escape. And the survivors Tom. get on the ship. I didn't get quite to the end, but you get the point. You know what? I feel like that was, there's just a lot going on in the movie and that one was a little bit harder to do, but you did a lot, a lot better than I did. Yeah, you got to um, jump through the, like, you can't spend any time like talking about like character development or anything. You just got to, you're like a, the like, trajectory of a character's life. You just got to tell the bit points of like what's happening. Yeah, you, exactly. But I feel like the, at the beginning, I'm such a sucker for, I don't know, what do you call it in film where you have like the text that comes up right at the beginning and it's against a backdrop. Like, I guess it was used with um, Star Wars, Star Wars, right? Like they're the first ones that did amazing when the music came in and then you were able to get like that text synopsis. So to kind of put you into the space in mind uh, of, of the movie, the event horizon or, or the movie event horizon does that perfectly where, you know, they go through actually a timeline where they talk about, you know, this is the first colony on Mars mm -hmm. and then, you know, there's an experimental ship that's going out in, I think it's 2040. And then the Lewis and Clark goes out on this uh, search and rescue in uh, uh, in 2047. But Rob, where, where do you want to start here tonight? <laughs> Side because note, do you love when sci-fi is only like 10, 20 years away from reality? And you're like, yeah, we're nowhere <laughs> close to that yet. <laughs> you think about it, right? Like, you know what I mean? 2021, so 47. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, 25 years, 30 years. Could we even imagine being able to accomplish some of the feats that they're able to accomplish in this movie. I, I don't know. Like I know me and you are huge Star Trek fans. Mm -hmm. We're big horror fans. And I think we'll geek out a little bit on the sci-fi angle of this as well, because you know, next gen, that was like amazing and Star yes. Wars, but absolutely. Like that's the one thing with, with um, that Gene Roddenberry, like just nailed it is that uh, Star Trek is like 400 years in the future. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? He gave himself it's, lots of time. Oh, he, <laughs> exactly. He didn't, he didn't. Lots of time for syndication, right? <laughs> but like, no, it's like, I think it's this like start date or the year's like 23 something. So they are like way, way ahead of time. But this is, this isn't, you know, this is 2047. So Rob, you know, with a movie like this, you know, we're not going to go through the plot, but one of the big or maybe one of the biggest ideas, constructs in this film is the idea of hell. And how they present that in the movie, what it means, and really how it plays with our original or sort of baseline baseline understanding of hell, and then how they show it. What what do you think, or how do you um, how do you sort of portray the way they're portraying? the idea of hell in this film. Yeah. So let's explain it just for context. So in the film, Sam Weir, the scientist has uh, Sam Weir, Sam Neill, who plays Weir. I do keep thinking his name is Sam Weir. though. Mike reason. Weir. Yeah. Mike Weir. <laughs> anyway, uh, Weir is a scientist who's developed this um, revolutionary method of travel where a ship can bend space, cut through, cut a sort of hole in it and pop out, uh, way further away than it should be able to travel. And this is, um, you know, we've heard about this kind of like creating a black hole and you pop out somewhere else, right? You've seen this idea in sci-fi before. Now he, he actually describes it with a piece of paper. He bends the paper and he punches a pen through it, showing that the ship will, you know, 
easily pass through and now you unfold the paper and you're way further away uh, than where you open the hole. Imagine for a minute that this piece of paper... No, excuse me, uh, that's Vanessa and that's mine. Uh, attractive piece of paper represents space-time and you want to get from point A here oh. to point B there. Now what's the shortest distance between two points? A straight line. <laughs> Wrong. The shortest distance between two points is zero, and that's what the gateway does. It folds space so that point A and point B coexist in the same space and time. When the spacecraft passes through the gateway, space returns to normal. It's called a gravity drive. How do you know all this? I built it. The idea in this film is that when the event horizon went through that hole, it actually went to an alternate dimension or potentially just went to a completely different side of space that we haven't even imagined before. And it encountered this like hell dimension. They even call it, do they even call it hell? They, they do reference to it as hell. I think it's at one point, whether or not they mean the literal hell or like that we know from the, the Bible or they're just describing it as hell. But the other idea that I mean occurred to me, Jamie, and we talked about this off pod, is just that I love the idea that maybe when they went through the hole, space unbent again, and they ended up on the other side of the paper, if you follow my meaning. They didn't yep. get through the hole. They end up on the sort of dark side of the universe, the sort of flip negative zone of our of our existence. And there lies the place that we understood from from the Bible as hell. It actually exists. It is there. And that's where the ship went and then was spat back out and returned to our to our galaxy. I created the event horizon to reach the stars. But she's gone much, much farther than that. She tore a hole in our universe, a gateway to another dimension. Mention of pure chaos, pure evil. Now, how do they depict it? Within this film, you don't see hell, the place. You only see what happened to the people that went into that dimension. And you get these, and it's all done pure 90s style, right, James? Like the like the little ha handheld video camera. Yeah, like, Some... the, like the Blair Witch style <laughs> yeah. visions of hell. And, and I guess we assume this is like the ship has camera capacity or is it just some guy who's like, all right, I got the camera. Let's go, guys. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be like the captain's log, right? Where yeah. they're, yeah, they're depicting and they're filming, I guess, this, this groundbreaking um, right. journey. Yeah, because this where is they're the, gonna go, yeah, this yeah, is a big gonna, deal, this ship. This is like a maiden voyage. Yeah, this is the first time. And I think they call it the gravity drive where they engage this gravity drive. And the way it's depicted in the movie is they go to basically, you know, um, uh, Sam Neill's character, Weird describes it as like the, the heart of the ship. And mm -hmm. it is three rings that sort of are working um, and are spinning on different axes. And when they all align, there's like this light. It's very cool. It shines. And then. What happens is all those pointy things too. In the yeah, sharp. It, it really it turns into like a, a fluid matter, and then that opens up. I, I'm guessing the portal. It's interesting because it says it's supposed to bend time, which or sorry, bend, bend space. space where the where the the ship would be able to go through. But what's interesting is that I guess this gravity driver, this engine, actually gives us like a visual representation. Yeah, of, of the actual black hole. 
but it's like the ship is not driving through that black no. hole, but it just, it actually gives us like, that's exactly what it is. A, vip, a visual representation of almost the fact that the ship has gone through the hole because it becomes mm-hmm. fluid, like the ship itself becomes fluid, but it's like, it's, or it's, it flies into that fluid. Like I, we, we don't I, know what's, we never see this depicted in space. We only, you're right. It's a very clever move by the movie, by the way. It just shows you, yeah, this thing creates this dark hole to like a black liquid. And this is what you're supposed to understand that the, the ship kind of flew into. But this thing is in the ship. It's in the heart of the ship. And it has its own, like, it's as if the ship has yet another little like doorway yeah. within so itself. It, exactly. It's like this micro kind of black hole within the the, the 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 macro black hole itself so that kind of internal external you know i'm looking at thinking of like a visual diagram is really interesting but it's a butthole. I, I guess <laughs> i guess what happens is is that when the first crew went out uh they they somehow ended up in a hell dimension and unlocked some kind of malevolent force because mm-hmm. you know the crew talks about the new crew when they go there and they start to see and feel the terrors that come back. They really start to question what happened to the crew. You know, there's, it's people are frozen and their faces are kind of like animals eating them. There's blood on the console. They start feeling like these, these fears and they start asking, you know, well, where's this ship been? And then it really all culminates into when they see the video log and then, you know, the, the one the one shot is the captain saying, and we're just about to engage the gravity drive. And then it kind of goes all fuzzy. And then mm-hmm. we're able to clean it up later on in the movie where it shows them mm-hmm. being, it's very graphic imagery. They're, they're, oh, yeah. they're killing each other. They're, they're being very, they're eating each other. The they're guy eating each other. Exactly. He's which, pulled his own eyeballs out and he shows them to the camera. So. Oh, and then there's is, like, this, clearly, dude, are we going to go there now? Cause it's clear to me that also people are like fucking and killing each other at the same time. Yeah, there's cannibalism. There's basically every kind of, you know, destructive, graphic, horrific imagery that you would think associated with hell and the pain and the suffering is sort of what is happening on the ship. And what's also kind of cool is, you know, these things sort of take, you know, they happen over time with with the characters sort of learning more about the ship. And we should also preface it by one of this one of the search and rescue mission guys, he gets sucked into this black hole and friggin' spit right out. Like you know, I, I think, I think we can get to that in a second when we talk about the characters and we talked about some of the, you know, some of those silly horror tropes. So I want to stick with the, I want to stick with the idea of hell right there. Yeah. But one thing that's really cool is Jason Isaacs plays this, plays the doctor and, you know, you know him from, um, uh, the OA, he was in that, uh, I loved that, OA by the way. Yeah. That was really cool. Right. Like, so he's got a really intense, he's on the new Star Trek show too. He was in the first season of, yeah. uh, of, uh, Discovery. Yeah, so apparently he can speak Latin, and they're able to clean up this audio message. And he says, yeah, liberate me. And then at first they think it's save me. Mm -hmm. And then what they realize later on in this really, really cool uh, shot where Isaacs and Fishburne are juxtaposed together in this. They're sitting down. They they know something is completely fucked up on this ship. And they're really trying to figure out how are they going to save themselves now. And he says, very chilling scene. I thought it said liberate me, save me, but it's not me, it's liberate tutte me, save yourself, and it gets worse. 
there. I think that says X in fairies. Save yourself from hell. It wasn't save, save me. It was save yourself mm -hmm. from hell. So, you know, it just kind of added on to what is happening here. But I think, Rob, I, I'm, you know what I mean? I want to ask you, are these ship like, is it accidental that they are ending up in, in this, in, in harm's way here from this malevolent force as the previous crew? Did they just sort of happenstance? They were trying to get to one place. They, they, I guess they didn't go through the portal. Are they somehow being punished? You know, we talk you talking about, about the first crew about, or, the, or the crew of the movie that we're watching. I, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm talking about either crew because I think one of the things that underpins hell as, as, you know, is a, is a religious construct of the idea, but mm -hmm. we don't, we see bits and pieces of that here, but often hell and we understand it is, is it's, there's rules involved, right? There's a sin and there's punishment. Yeah. And then you end up in hell if there's too much sin, but. And, and classically, like sin? when you, when you talk about hell, yeah. your punishment has to do with what you did. So for example, if you were someone who the deadly sin of wrath, for example, uh, where, you know, you're a, a warmonger, you would go to hell and end up like just in a brawl in a fire forever. Like you just have to fight your whole life, your, your the rest of eternity, your life, the rest of eternity, your soul has to fight <laughs> and fight and fight. And that's all you do until, you know, time until I guess until hell is, I don't know. Goes so out so of business. do you think that's what's happening here? Or? I don't know. Personally, I don't think the cast, the rest of the crew, sorry, the especially the, the roughneck guys that you're talking about, the, the search and rescue team, I don't think they are being punished. There are like little things I think you can point at, but I don't think it's punishment. Um, the only so character- So it hinges on Weir? I think it hinges on Weir. Weir is the guy who built the portal, built the device, the event horizon, and he is obsessed with it, right? He, he won't admit when things are going wrong. He- deflects he he actually like goes as far as blaming uh cooper uh as and tells him like oh i think he's delusional like he actually like basically says this guy's full of shit and cooper's like no i know what i saw oh, when he when he says i know what i saw and yeah. i saw like that that liquid and he's like no oh the gravity drive would <laughs> it's perfectly safe yeah and he's saying it, it, it's, it's not no operational it's a trap. <laughs> uh, exactly like he keeps like denying what everyone else is saying to him and he is driven which we know because we the movie begins with him having a vision of his wife who committed suicide. Now that opens two ideas to me. One is like yeah. he, because he developed the portal or the hole, whatever you want to call it, the device that opens the, 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 the hole the, in space, the technology, the right? technology, like the he has already been touched essentially by this alternate dimension. Now we don't know in what way, but I assume he had to do some testing. They never say this in the movie. So I'm assuming all this that yeah. like he, at some point opened it or opened something like it was touched by that other side. So he's, he's been touched by it at some point or some sort of exposure to it. He's never gone through it though. Now, the other thing is his wife committed suicide. And if you go by like biblical, you know, rules or whatever, I'm not religious. So, you know, uh, neither of us are, but if we're going with sort of like the antiquitable definition right. or consequence for that. Yeah. Suicide, I think I think you go to limbo or you go to hell, right? So it opens the possibility that she is there. She is there in hell calling him. him. Maybe? Yeah, like being used by that malevolent, malevolent force to call him back. Especially now that, that, they're, that they're about to reappear or he's about to go. 
the hole has been recently reopened because the event horizon has come back. So the idea being that like those voices could have, now we don't know what they are. When she crossed over, she was just a ship. But when she came back, she was alive. Look at her, Miller. Isn't she beautiful? And this is the other thing about this film is that uh, I think it's Jolie Richardson who plays Stark. When she first gets to the ship, she says, you know, um, she's getting all these weird, uh, she's getting all these weird uh, life form readings. So we don't understand what the life from hell looks, feels, identifies as, or what it looks at, like what it manifests itself as. The ship itself seems to have come alive. So the ship itself is now possessed by some sort of evil force or, or some other force. And it is at one point they describe it as defending itself because they recognize it recognizes these other people as people invading it. So, so I think that's an interesting point that, that like there is that sci-fi side of what this hell could be and what it means. Yeah, um, I wanted, but I, I don't just, think I want, anyone's being punished. I think Sam Weir, or sorry, Sam Weir. You don't, I think I, Weir, like Mikey Weir's brother. I think Weir is the one character who continues to commit, uh, you know, he's, he's a line stepper. He's a perpetual line stepper. And he keeps like, uh, he keeps like pushing the boundaries. And Lawrence Fishburne finally pushes him back and says, no, that's it. I, this place is, we're getting the fuck out of here. Fuck this shit. You know what? I Maybe I'm, I, I'm going to have to, I got to disagree a little bit because- you know, it, when we're talking about hell, we have to think about it, I, it within the, the religious framework of the ideas of heaven and hell. So when you try to, you know, readjust the laws of physics and, you know, I think the greed and the gluttony that one would have to see themselves as above perhaps what... It is playing God. Man sh- absolutely. What mortal man should be able to accomplish or what they should be wanting or willing to kind of venture down into i think that is risky territory and i think some i think the whole idea but that's because, pride isn't it by the way but, but well pride for sure i think we also need to think about if we if they weren't undertaking this kind of experimental journey they never would have ended up in hell in the first place so it's like the means justify the ends hell is only a word the reality is much, much worse. I know they re- they use that word fast and loose in the movie hell, but is it? It's not really hell as we understand it. It's just a pl- It's just a. Uh, it's just a place where there's some kind of demonic spirit that's been released that is now overtaking the ship and really anybody. Because you just said it yourself, right? It's just like it's a ghost ship. That's just what it does. Right, but are you so saying- it's not so? So then we can't. We can't really then it's it's we can't really think about it as hell. I don't know because it, it depends on your depiction of hell because if you think well, about I'm, other I'm, movies- That's what I'm saying. Is that like my, I, my, in other films like Satan or whoever, the representation of hell, like the, the leader of hell, it, he tempts people. Like it's his job to go out there and like fuck people up. And, and there's nothing to say that like demons of hell wouldn't just attack and kill people. Like they're not always there to just tempt and, and make people fall on the wrong side. Like uh, hell- like, you know, if you think about the idea of like, what is it? The apocalypse, hell's going to open up and they're just going to like run out with their flaming swords and they're going to attack us, right? Like the, the the plan is to come get us. So they're not, they're not like, uh, 
this is that like this is this is just that type of hell that's just like has no concern is just here to kill and just hates all that it finds yeah one piece that kind of strengthens that that thinking is you do get in both instances some kind of possession of the leader so you do have somebody that sort of becomes possessed and i guess it's the scientist or the doctor in the in the latter and in the former it was the captain of the ship yeah, and so the difference in this in this iteration, and in in now that the Lewis and Clark is out there, is that Lawrence Fishburne Miller is an incorruptible leader. He he, yep. even though the ghost ship tries, he recognizes he yeah, low key hilarious through the whole film. By the way, he's hardcore. Like in the first scene, he's he's busting balls, he's kicking people's ass. He's like, "Come on, let's get this going." You know, he he is a no nonsense boss, and he he also wants to protect his crew, and that is like what he lives for. Like he. A, we find out later it's it's because he let this one guy die. But earlier yeah, in the that's movie, why he's, he's like yeah. doesn't give Weir any time of day. He's just like, tell me why we're out here. Don't don't bullshit me. I just want to know why I've been called on this mission that I really don't want to be on, and puts all my crew at risk. So he's a real no nonsense guy. So he's kind of incorruptible. And although the malevolent beast tries to, or whatever the monster well, tries yeah. to corrupt him, he won't be corrupted. It's Weir though who is fully corrupted. Yeah, that's an interesting idea about the idea of tempting, the idea of how, you know, they play on their fears and there's the hallucinations and visions, which kind of draw them closer, but also at the same time push them away. Because I don't know about you, Rob, if like, you know, they want to tempt them in, but they also are using those. It reminds me of like um, the movie It where Pennywise, you know, plays on your fears, right? Everything that you're, they, they kind of draw you in to make you do things you don't want to do. You know, to, to uh, the one, Catherine Quinlan, when she eventually dies, she ends up, you know, she falls off that high ledge because she is trying to find her son, which clearly a hallucination. So why is she doing that? She's like, you know, she she's a lucid woman that's, you know, on this mission and she's collecting all those uh, CO2 containers and she's leaving, but she is, she's, she's drawn in. So I really like the fact that you do have Fishburne as the leader who, as you say, incorruptible, strong-minded, strong-willed, juxtaposed against this force that is sort of slowly chipping away at, at their psyches. This, this movie is as much kind of mental mm-hmm. as it is, as you know, it's a, it's a mental thriller, mental horror, as much as it is graphic as you know as you see it and one of the things is they're you know they they wanted to have more cuts of the the blood and the gore and that imagery into the movie and it actually it didn't end up being there you get 15 seconds of it and then you get some of the shots that like right at the end but um but that's another that's another piece to it so i guess for me it just i always have trouble or I was always having trouble understanding this idea of hell because when I think of hell, I think of heaven. And I think of, I do think of all that imagery from antiquity. And maybe I'm always looking for some answers as to what are the rules within the hell construct in this movie. And we just don't get it. Hey, I mean, we just, wasn't we, hell we just, just it, wasn't hell just like painters, like they were the horror genre makers of their time? I mean, isn't Bosch just the Wes Craven of his time? He's just painting these like nasty ass things that are super entertaining to look at and just like really mind boggling and like detailed and gross, but also like, I, like you're kind of compelled to keep looking into them. So, I mean, 
you know, it's part of the genre. One thing I think is interesting and worth, I think it might be a problem with the film. Let's think about this, James. The two characters that survive are Peters and Stark, right? That's, okay, so, so here's the thing. Those two characters, we get almost nothing about them. No, no, no. Peters doesn't. It's, um, no. I'm sorry. Uh, you're right. It's Stark Miller and Cooper. And Stark. No. no, Miller dies. Lawrence Fishburne dies in the end. Cooper and Stark survive. As well as Justin, but he's like, he's incapacitated. Yeah. So, so it's Jolie Richardson and Richard T. Jones who survive. Those two characters, like Jones, uh, sorry, Cooper, like played by Jones, is most of the time spent out on the ship doing the the repairs along with, uh, you know, what is his name? Justin, not Justin. Um, no, it's with um, Kilpack with Peter uh, Mar- uh, yeah, Marinko. Smith. It's the, it's oh, the pilot. Yeah, Smith. So that actually, that leads you to believe that it, 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 the, the force and the spirits only confined to the ship itself, which is why they go to extreme lengths to keep, because well, they, 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 mm-hmm. they, to keep them inside the cabin, right? And Smith won't go on the ship. He'd rather spend time on the other ship fixing it. He won't go in. Does he even get on the ship at any point? Very briefly. And he goes back yeah, and briefly. he's killed by Weir. He's not killed by the ship. Like the ship yeah. doesn't affect him. He doesn't get a vision. Instead, he, um, Instead, he gets blown up by Weir, who throws some bombs on his ship to get rid of the Lois and Clark. But the weird thing is they kind of forget about Stark because she's in a lot of important parts at the beginning and at the end. She's there. She's fighting alongside uh, Miller. But we don't really get like what visions is she having? What horror is she going through? No, and you're right. And it's not to the end. In a lot of the escape scenes and a lot of the battle scenes, she's not she's not present. Well, no, or she's there, but she's secondary. Like she's just yeah. like at she's, the end. Yeah, exactly. She's, she's not sort of exactly. She's not carrying the scene. And then she, and then it's at the end where she thinks she sees where she thinks she sees where, when the uh, new it, rescue team finds suit. her. Yeah. And they yeah. find, yeah. So like, is that like, I guess what I mean is like, they didn't give those characters enough to hang their hat on to make the ghost ship have anything to go after about them. Yeah, you wonder why they kind of exactly why why do they why do they end up <laughs> living? Yeah, like well, in a way, I think the movie could have done better to make you want different people to survive, because I didn't care enough about Cooper or Stark to I didn't want them to die. I guess. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You're right. I don't I don't care about those characters as much. I would have loved to see Miller die, but the interesting Live? sort of roundabout of his of his story arc is that. You know, he had to make that difficult decision to sacrifice someone for the for the fate of his crew. And then he ends up doing the exact same thing where he's got to kill himself. He blows the blows the, the port or he blows the, um, I guess, the, the connection tube from the ships in order to save the rest of the crew, which is, I think it's a nice way to, to kind of finish it. Although I would just would have loved Furious Styles to to make it out okay because he was such a badass character and just just so good but it concludes anyways, his arc perfectly though right like yeah it's- it, it, totally it, it it's it's perfect but just just to kind of wrap up the ideas the idea of hell i the fact that we just even talked about it for 40 minutes there is is awesome and hell is interesting hell is something that we always want to know more about it's it's been the basis of tons of movies the idea of hell where it's like your immense fears and pain and torture and uncertainty. And they play on this and they are very aware that 
they don't know what it is. So they're just slapping on that idea that they're slapping on that, that word hell, because there's nothing else that seems as fitting or proper to kind of describe what they might be faced with, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> so good. So, Jimmy, let's talk about sci-fi. We deep dived on hell, what this movie's about in terms of what they're depicting and as the monster. Um, but let's talk about what sci-fi does for this film. We talked about how already that, you know, you could in your mind, if you chose to decide not to make this the religious version of hell, you could decide that this is a sci-fi monster that has like, you know, some sort of life form that has taken over the ship and sort of just looks and feels like hell, the way it attacks the uh, the people who come on board. But what else about space and sci-fi did you like or like sort of made this movie interesting to you? Like, why couldn't you do this as like a, why did this have to be in space? I guess is the question. Well, I just think it layers on the idea of the unknown. Mm -hmm. If you were to do this movie in a farmhouse or you to do this movie in a church, you know, these are very familiar settings, settings that we've all been in, settings that are familiar, which can even make it, you know, more terrifying. But when you put it into space, you're layering on the idea of the unknown. You're, you're the pursuit of like the evolution of humanity and what's going to happen. And if you have, everybody wants to know if there's aliens out there or if there's life forms or what's beyond our or solar planet system, that what's we can beyond get our to. galaxies. Yeah. Exactly. So what you're doing now is you are, you're taking just the intrinsic curiosity that people have for what is up in the stars and not only... Are you, you know, focused in on that, but now you're making it terrifying. Yeah. You're inverting all our hope into like, oh no. Exactly. (laughs) Right. It plays, you know what I mean? It's like, it just plays with the idea of, should we really be tempting fate? Should we be, should we be content to stay in our lane or should we want to go and should we want to go and explore? Because I think it, it, it really puts a finer point in the idea that it might not be okay. Is that it, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you don't know what's going to be up there, which makes it absolutely terrifying. Uh, and then also one, well, what do you think? I have, well, you, I have another thing to say, but what do you think? Yeah. You told me that they marketed this film. I think you said at the top of the pod that they marketed this film as a darker version of Star Trek, which is ridiculous because <laughs> Star Trek, especially if you go to oh, like original Star Trek is well, even next gen is the most comfortable, like chilled way of traveling through space on this luxury cruise liner with like pajamas <laughs> on, you know, yeah. Every alien you meet is like people are at ten forward. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, having you know, drinks, the hologram chessboard. You got Guinan coming in. You know what I mean? To read your tarot cards, like you got a robot that can do everything for you. You're gonna work a double shift tonight, right, Data? All right, cool, buddy. Thanks, man. I'm gonna take off. It appears we will be required to ignite the midnight petroleum, sir. Earl Grey, hot. T. Earl Grey, hot. Tea, Earl Grey, hot. Tea, Earl Grey, hot. Tea, Earl Grey, hot. Would you like some tea? No. And also, like, every alien you talk to, it's like, uh, just keep that universal translator on and everybody speaks English for some reason. Like, it's awesome. It is the most easy way to meet a new culture and go out there and look around space. No, you were saying earlier about, like, you know, like, exactly to, you know, the luxury travel. This is like traveling on a junket. Yeah. So this is like, the this ship is like a, like a, like a frigate, right? You're, that's a bunch of Marines and, or, or like oil workers kind of way of life living on a boat in the middle of nowhere, traveling across the ocean. And, and 
you know, it's not pretty. Like they have to, when they do go into hyperspeed to get out to Neptune, they have to go into that like, you know, liquid state. Like they, they go into that like container filled with liquid and they have to be knocked out for a couple months. And, you know. Yeah, Rob, what you're saying is gritty. It's gritty. It's gross. It's, it's not comfortable. It's gritty, okay. Like yeah. they're, it's like, that's what made aliens so fucking yes. badass. It's totally it just, not. Yeah. Totally it, not. It's like, aliens. exactly. Like you think when you were, when you were traveling in space, like they, to make it realistic, like you're right away. <laughs> it wouldn't be like, you know, SS Enterprise or the USS Enterprise. It would be probably something that looked more along the lines of like an industrial ship, right? Mm -hmm. Something like a lot of metal, a lot of steel and gritty and rough and the people that would be on it. And, and that just, you know, that, that actually sets up a nice, a nice, um, you know, so framework between horror and a force and like the kind of like, you know, rough people that would be in that situation makes me think of predator. Right. You know what I mean? Where mm -hmm. you just have like these tough guys mm -hmm. against this scary force, because you know what, you need that when you're in space. So yeah. I think yeah and I think are... space, like a sci-fi movie, sci-fi, like what defines this as a genre, I, I'm not an expert, but here's my thought is that it generally is taking a scientific question and exploring what possibilities does the answer to this question present to us so if we can travel at light speed what does that mean oh we'll get to meet all these great cultures or different aliens around the you know the universe like in star trek or if you can program uh computers to make simulations that are so realistic would we get lost in them like the matrix you know like these are the kind of yeah. questions like a sci-fi movie kind of asks you so event horizon is sort of asking a sci-fi question like what if we could travel through a dimensional portal to get to deeper uh parts of space which was a question that was already out there like light speed or whatever you want to talk about and now the idea is like but what if we screwed it up and somehow when we did it it actually opened a portal to a place that we couldn't even imagine how horrible it was that's what i don't that's what i don't understand about like you know the and and i'm again i'm not a scientist but i always thought black holes were like where where ma everything was dark and like matter was like sucked into it and there was nothing there so i guess they've well, used we didn't that. even talk about it. so a black hole like you said like we've talked about is the place where all matter is sucked into and i think in a yeah. lot of people's minds that means it gets crushed into oblivion basically like there's nothing left black hole the most destructive force in the universe and you've created one absolutely yes because we can use that immense power to bend space time but the idea is that perhaps it opens a hole and reopens somewhere else and this leads us to no, the there's a lot there's of perhaps but here's there's the title of... here's the title of the movie dude what's the title of the movie event horizon which means a point of no return yeah it's literally the moment where there's like things are sucked beyond the horizon in a is it in a black hole it's a physics thing right well it says a theoretical boundary around a black hole beyond which no light or other radiation can escape. So essentially it's, it's a point, it's a point of no return. It's, it's when you go past a invisible line and you are unable to, to return. Yeah. But so the I movie asks it, like, what's on the other side of that is of the event horizon, but they've, they've, they've been able to come up with a technology that allows them to proceed past the event horizon, the theater, theoretical event horizon, and then return. Yeah. So it just brings me or brings us back to the point of should they really be doing something like that? And clearly the technology doesn't work. 
Well, the, I think but, I think we should just go. But here's and say the that. thing: the whole movie is that it's only been tried once. Right? Man, look what fucking happened. <laughs> yeah, but that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. This is the movie that tells you what happens. So here's the thing, though. That's the sci-fi question it it, it asks. You want to know what's really sadistic about this movie is that they were gone for seven years. I'm just wanting to know what that's what what consisted of of those seven years. What was life like for that crew seven years? Oh, I think they were dead in thirty minutes. <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah, so I think because too. you see how the you see how everything devolves like in over a matter of hours. I don't know. I just thought it was an arbitrary seven deadly sins, seven hours, or you know, I don't know, or seven years rather. I think. Anyways, I think this the time gap is just there to create a mystery. Yeah, I think so too. Right? If, because it, cause if it came back two weeks later, I'd be like, oh, they're back, and then they go out yeah. there and like, oh shit, it's not everything went to hell. It's better if they disappear and there's absolutely no explanation as to where they went, how they got there. Because in their mind, imagine from this, from the perspective of the space crew or whatever, NASA, um, they could be thinking to themselves like the Event Horizon went on that voyage, got to where they were supposed to go. Maybe they encountered a new alien species who shot them out of the air or like – you know, their mind is going in a million different places. Yeah. They don't think to themselves, maybe they got trapped in between space and time and then went to hell, came back. Like All they know is they're gone. So the possibility of what happened to them is crazy. And that's why they're sending out a crew to go check it out. Yeah. And when they do actually get out there and check it out, there's the great shot of, you know, the front of the event horizon. I know you, you were telling me, and I had a look at this, where they when they were constructing the ship which actually because they, they had a huge budget for this film they made a lot of the ship eh? they actually made the ship and the crew thought it was like super freaky but they were inspired by a lot of the gothic architecture of the notre dame cathedral you mentioned that and i'd read that that was really cool and he actually when asked he discusses this and he? and pre- uh paul anderson he presents this as a gothic horror that's the way he sees this movie as uh, you know within within the ideas of uh of a sci-fi movie which i thought was cool and then you have the ship which is like looks like when you've got a big pull-out shot it's like in the shape of a cross so some interesting pieces there so rob i gotta say there's some really funny moments in this part and there's some really good <laughs> there's comedy in this oh fuck there's comedy it's comedy in every movie there's some really good pieces in this film with some of the characters right like i think just the way we're set up is like this total nerdy scientist and then when he goes to explain like what they're doing and then cooper's like fuck layman's terms do you speak english what can you explain that like just you know what i mean oh, just man. this like is is um Cooper uh Richard T. Jones, is he not doing an Eddie Murphy impression? Is, is yeah, he, for is, sure. Like I feel like they were trying to get Eddie, couldn't get him, and, and then they're like Well, Jones. they just had to drop in like kind of a stereotype, you know, character. Yeah, like you know what I mean? And, and yeah, but it's 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 more than yes, it is a stereotype. They made the black guy the like exuberant, yeah. like black talker. Like, That's a total stereotype, especially in the eighties and nineties. But I do yeah. feel like he's literally doing an Eddie Murphy impersonation sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Especially when he's told to kind of get back in line after, after he's mouthing off and he's all pissed off and he kind of just says like, he's very animated with his facial expressions. Yeah. Is there any other, any characters that jumped out at you? Any, uh, any funny bits or any, any kind of characters that you liked? Any, any, I love this cast scenes. 
I love this cast. I don't have a lot of bits like that, but what I liked, like, I really liked how every character kind of had a very clear role. So I liked that Sean Pertwee, who plays Smith, is like he's the he's the pilot. He's a uh, he's not like in in it for the adventure. He's there because this is his job. Oh, um, exactly. Doesn't want to go on the ship. He's a little no. bit superstitious. You know, he's a he's a superstitious old ship captain. Like they're a ship pilot, which I yeah. loved. Jason Isaacs is such oh, a good actor great, when eh? it comes to threading that line between like, is this guy a good guy or is he a bad guy? And you yeah, never he's know. He's got that those facial expressions. He's got that look, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin is probably the weakest actor. Jack Noseworthy, unfortunately, at this point in his career, but he he's played up well because he's this innocent and they basically take him out of the movie right away. Is it baby bird? Baby, no, baby bear. It's baby bear. <laughs> baby bird. <laughs> oh, no, Rob, that was the other line. They, Miller comes in, right? And like, they have to go on the ship. He's like, someone drops the ball. We get the call. Yeah. And we've talked with Sam Neill as we're, he, you keep calling him geeky. I think he's very smug. Like he's so proud of this thing. He's, he's well, made, okay. Right? Like he's nerdy, but yeah, he's arrogant. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, he won't admit you know, to the potential that he's created something that isn't working or isn't working at all the way he thought it was, or is, you know, actually turned into a massive problem. And by the way, the reason your ship <clears throat> disappeared um, is because something you did and look what happened. It made everyone claw each other's eyes out. So maybe you need to consider taking responsibility for that or, or just like consider that this technology you think is so amazing is not so great. So yeah, often he he really kind of embodies that you said smug arrogant scientist where you know at one point he's he's pressed for answers very aggressively yeah. by the crew right and, and, he and he's just like i, I don't know i don't well, know he lies he even lies or misdirects a lot too so he yeah. you can either read that as that's his own pride getting in the way or that is the malevolent you know, space hell being starting to manipulate him. It's probably both until he eventually just becomes the guy from Hellraiser with the, with the cuts oh all over God, him the and the blood. Yeah, and, like it's, the, it's, it, it's kind of subtle, eh? Like just kind of how he calms down a little bit because he was getting very agitated because he was consistently being pressed through the, through the movie. And he's also kind of having these visions, but, but then no, near the end of the film, like, you know, the possession is kind of taking place and he's calming down a little bit and he's way more fucking calculated. And he was actually physically stronger. He has like supernatural powers too. That's another good, actually, that's a great point that we didn't talk about is that this cat can, you know, who's he throw? Like uh, he's, yeah, he's very stark. I think whips her across the room. Yeah. Like just like nobody's business. This guy really rode the Jurassic park wave pretty good. eh? Like he did that in 90. This is pre Jurassic park. Is it not? Oh, hell no, man. This Jurassic Park was 93. So like the original one. And then he did, he did a sequel and this was 97. Like Sam Neill was, had like a little bit of a run there where, cause he's an Australian actor. And, you know, in terms of North American audiences, like he had a few movies where he, he was like quite popular. Like he was cast in this film, like by all accounts, I think it was paramount behind this. This was supposed to be like a big fucking movie. And the one of the reasons why this thing didn't do so well is a, I think they totally missed the mark on who they were going to, um, who they were, who their intended audience was, but also Titanic was set back and was actually released around this time. And Titanic ended up being one of the biggest movies ever to be made. Right. Which I guess sucked the wind out of the sales for this one. But um, yeah, like I think 
you know, look at the cast, Fishburne. Do you not think that Lawrence Fishburne, do you think he acts or do you think he's like the same guy in every movie? I don't think he's the same as Morpheus, if that's what you're getting to, because Morpheus no, is his I'm next role. I'm thinking Furious right? Styles from Boys in the Hood. No, no. Also, this guy was in Apocalypse Now. So Lawrence he, Fishburne? Yeah. Oh, shit, he was. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah right. like he, he's been in a ton of things. Uh, I think he's such a good actor, eh? I think he's, he does get cast as an authoritarian often. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think he plays the same guy every time. He's got a great voice. He's got really good stage presence, or he's got on screen presence. I trust him. I want, I feel safe with him. Eh? That's um, one of the things I no, don't I do. I don't. What? I, I what often, about? I find Fishburne when he wants to be, can be that character that you can't tell if he's good or bad, or you have to, you're waiting for the reveal for a long, long time. Are you time. serious? Oh yeah. So you don't feel, you didn't, you didn't trust Morpheus? I didn't. Well, Morpheus. Yeah. You trust him a little later. You don't trust Miller. You don't trust Furious Styles. I don't trust Miller in this movie, at least not till a little later, not till I really realize what's happening. Like at first he so just seems on. like what an antagonist you, because we don't know we're going to see the the hell ship yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> also he was cowboy Curtis in Pee Wee's Playhouse. So, I mean, he's got a soft side. It's just a really good cast. Who's uh, let me I think Sam Neill's the best actor in this movie though. He gets to do the most, I guess you should say, I should say. And he, because he gets to become possessed at the end and then start like. Do you believe him in his possession? Cause yeah, I sure yeah, do. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and and I think where he began and where he ends up is great. Like he gets to do the most transit transformation of all the characters. And well, you know. I you know what I absolutely, and I think this is a good point to put in. It doesn't hurt that they they really throw in a lot of like the the horror tropes. Eh, like when he's possessed, you've got like the strobe light in the background, and you've got like the flickering lights. It really adds that horror element. And like Rob, you he mentioned his eyes, so. It's cool. Let the lights flicker. You don't care. What does he say? Well, we're going. You don't need to see. What do you think that means? Do you think you won't need eyes? I don't know because you're (laughs) gonna get them carved out of your face. I don't know. No, he says where you're going. You don't need. You don't need to see. That stuck with me. That line where where we're going. Mm -hmm. You don't need to see because it's all dark. Maybe that dimension's all black. There's nothing to see. Maybe like in, well, you think of a figurative sense and a literal sense, right? So it's a literal sense, it, it, but also with that statement, it's like, well, we're going. So this is just like, he's, lo- they're looking for victims. Yeah. They're pulling, they want to take them back. Yeah. They want to take, take, take them back. Yeah. So you, that's what made, that's what, that's what brought me back to my original question where seven years in order to get the distress call, did they try to activate the gravity drive? It happened right away. And then they got sucked in to this hell dimension. And then for whatever reason, I don't know. Well, the hell dimension people figured out how to turn it on and come back. Maybe it took them seven years to figure it out. Well, they did have another interesting part of the film is right when they first get onto the, onto the the bridge or the corridor that connect connects the front part to the back. They have these, like these activated bombs that have been, that Mm -hmm. have been um, with the weird CG, like water bottles floating around like early CG. Yeah. Yeah. But not detonated. And then they, a lot of foreshadowing there because they're like, you blow these up if you want to use the front as a lifeboat. Yeah. Yeah. So they click, you know what I mean? They brought the gun on stage. They're going to shoot it later. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> so you mentioned, Rob, what are some other like really oh, good okay. horror tropes in here? Well, I, I was just going to, I thought you were going to ask me a question of other great scenes. Here's the other one I just love in this movie is Cooper being blown out to space. Shit! What the 
the fuck am I going? Why is this shit gonna happen to me? I gotta get back to the ship. I gotta get back to the ship, alright? Alright, I gotta blow my air tank. I'll blow my air tank. Come on, come on, come on, yes! 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 Here I come, motherfucker! He's like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Turns on his air jet, his uh, his oxygen tank, and flies back to the event horizon. I gotta blow my pack. I gotta blow my pack. Like, that is the craziest no fucking way you'd be able to navigate yourself back to that like no. ship that's but where I, in other films like, i he's, love it he's, yeah because i think the fort like yeah he's able to blow his air pack and then somehow get back and then he's like i'm coming back Woo! <laughs> yeah and that was one of those moments in the movie where it's like a they added some comedy some levity which was a nice, i guess potentially a necessary break in a film that's this heavy it was oh, also it, one of those moments where I was like, oh, they're not going to kill the black guy. They usually kill the yeah. black guy. This time they're not doing it. Yeah. No, the movie itself, like, it's not like a lot. Some, it's not like Anaconda. It's not like where there's some ebbs and flows. I find, and maybe that just lends itself to the sci-fi genre or the sci-fi horror genre with the exception of fucking Jason in space. It just, <laughs> it, it lends itself to just being heavy the whole time because there's no light there's no there's no ideas yeah. of like day and night you're in you're in one you're just in one setting really you're in one time of day because it's you're in space so it's always dark and it can it can feel very heavy with all the artificial lighting the artificial you know because you're on a ship mm-hmm. you know what i mean like just feel what it's like to be on a plane for too long right it's this that same idea that artificial Mm. sense right so they had to give some kind of levity with with (laughs) cooper but also another another good scene is where justin where he like is depressurizing and his body's like disintegrating and then miller is able to like trying to talk him through what he needs to do to survive and then shoots him back in the airlock and they somehow stabilize that guy and put him in back into the to, to the stasis. That's yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty intense. Like you're like, I'm watching that going, shit, man. Like, yeah. Don't, what do they say at the end? He won't be pretty, but he'll live. <laughs> you're like, I oh. did my best. <laughs> um, so, but no, you, there was, there was some other good, um, there was some other really good horror tropes. Like you were talking about jump scares, man. Oh yeah. The whole movie's jump scares almost, right? Yeah. Like, because it is this ship that's alive and it's, you know, protecting itself or whatever it's doing. It, it is a lot of jump scares. And a lot of the time it's like those images in your brain. So they're not necessarily physically threatening in the sense that you will be hurt by them until later on the film where they literally do come to life or they trick you or whatever. Um, but they, they just create this awful feeling of, you know, dread throughout the whole movie. Oh, totally, man. Totally. You've got the, um, yeah, a lot of times where, you know, the character turns around and like you have, you have like some image or some, uh, some being right there, some hallucination, which, which scares you. Mm. Also, Rob, horror movies has to be synonymous with bad decision making. <laughs> what is the worst decision you've seen made in, or you saw made in this movie? Cause I, I That's have a good to question. That's a good question. Cause I thought a couple characters, their decisions make good sense to me. I thought Miller often made good uh, decisions. I thought the, the pilot Smith is making good decisions. Uh, DJ. Oh, he knows right away. This place is like yeah. totally 
freaking bad news, eh? He's not having it. I mean, Justin putting his finger in the black soup. Yeah, like what is that, man? Well, I mean, you're curious. Um, <laughs> Rob, please. I'm curious about if, you know what I mean, I go into a bar and I might try the calamari. Now, there's a man who knows when he's got something good in his mouth. Most folks just don't seem to have a taste for testicles no more. Testicles? Yes, ma'am. Sheep balls. That's right. Tell them why yours are so tasty. Well, the trick is you've got to clip them off way up high. You know, this is different than going into... <laughs> this is different. First off, when he goes into the corridor that leads to the gravity drive, that like that reminds me of like a Mace video. Yeah, what you know about like the spinning? Yeah. And he calls I think Mace was grinder. there. Yeah. <laughs> what you know about going out head west and? <laughs> but seriously, at that point, are you saying you know what? This seems like a good idea to to continue forward. Also, myself. also, I love that weird design of room with spikes all over the wall that spin. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, this is cool. Like this is, it's just an engine. It doesn't look like yeah. a gateway to hell at all. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's like, like most- the house of horrors or just like, you know, they just didn't have any money to, to finish off the drywall. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is the creepiest space you can imagine. Like as a room, oh, it's like, I would, know, whoever, I would love to like, whoever- Go to like a like if there was like a, a theme park or whatever that did an event horizon room and they did that room, I would love to walk around in there. And, it's and so Rob, creepy. They, they they built all this shit. And the the cast, because so much of that ship was built, like everything where they shot was built, they were freaked out because the sets were that creepy. But getting back to your man uh noseworthy, so he goes in and he calls it a meat grinder, then he comes into the main area. Like, how does he end up at like and then he's got the camera on and then he's in like, so clearly there's been an issue with the gravity drive and he goes into the room and the camera's still working at that point. And then Weir's like, well, now he's in the gravity drive center. <laughs> it's like very calm. And then the camera goes out and then all, all of a sudden everybody is like very concerned. Right. And then that's where the ship is, is, working under its own power and it's very cool how those rings align and -hmm. the lights come up and Mm -hmm. then you see it go to that uh, you know like the effects and the the setting and the staging is like pretty fucking cool yeah but also like i feel like um quinlan peters she didn't need to die you know she chased a hologram of her or uh you know she chased an image a hallucination of her son which ends up getting her killed. This is a classic horror mistake. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I got to tell you, I agreed. I didn't want her to die as a character, but I no, think her death she... is great for the film because it makes you be like, oh, this place, it just gets everyone. It makes you hate the place more. And it also makes you feel like, okay, the danger's real. Like a good character just went down. And then the, and then the other thing is that like, it makes it real because I think until that point we've had people get hurt or we've, you know, I, I mean, DJ died in a very strange way. Like I still can't totally explain. Oh, Weir did it to him. Right. Very quickly, by the way, Weir hung him up like a Viking style lungs hanging out back wide open, you know, crucifixion that he does to him. Um, oh yeah. 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 Where he he must've done yeah, it like that- seven minutes. Cause it's like, he was like, 
in one room and then he shows up a little bit later, not very not long yeah, later. No, but he's got that extra he's got that strength, right? And that's true. He's the one because he's probably seen as a threat. He's the one that can speak Latin. He's the one that alerted them to the message. So there always seems like and there's always one kill in a horror movie that's Well seems he, he wasn't a big of character either. He knew he had to go. But yeah, that's yeah, I think Quinlan, like Peters, the woman who sees her son, I think that's the most personal one because you really don't want her to die. And no. And she does. And and it's it's a little bit heartbreaking. I think this film uh knew that that it's it's nice to have a not it's not nice. It is smart to have a little bit of that in here because hell is not a fair place. It's not a just, you know place it's 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 a horrible horrible place where no one escapes or like or where doesn't matter how good you are you will be treated like meat like it's it's like i thought that was effective yeah also effective jamie to wrap this up i think what also was not effective (laughs) sorry i should say was the prodigy song to end the movie on the credits Yeah, like they didn't go with the. Why was that? Like, you know what I mean? They they could have. It's so weird. It was dropped at the end, like out of nowhere. Like we haven't used this music at all, and we're just gonna drop it in here. So I wasn't. I actually didn't like the Prodigy music at all. Could have done a lot better. It seemed like an easy choice. You know what I mean? Just seemed like a. But a bit random because they didn't. They didn't. Yeah. Put it throughout the film, and 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 the film didn't have that like cool extreme edge of the nineties at all. They just threw it in at the at the credits but did it not feel to you like a moment where they felt the matrix coming oh fuck yeah you know what that's a good point just with that with that music and just yeah maybe that was the mate was the mate matrix in matrix is two, year, two years later yeah it would have been two, two years, years later so yeah. it, so it would have been written i wonder if fishburn yeah i wonder where the connection would have been would have been interesting there you know fishburn goes on to do it but uh, yeah, who knows? All right, Jane, let's wrap up this film. I think this film's really, really entertaining. I think it's spooky and scary and, and intense. And I love that about a, a horror that it keeps you on edge. It's, it's uncomfortable to watch. It's scary. It, it plays with your mind a little bit because it makes you consider things like hell and like what kind of nasty shit would happen to you in hell. And, um, and so I think all that's working the way they're using sci-fi, the way they're using the old junker ship heading out in space and they're, they're stuck out there. Like all those tropes are working really well. And my only criticisms are really around the characters that survive or sort of ones that you don't really care about. So they don't feel totally earned or they don't really result in anything. Like you're not like, Oh, good. Uh, Stark and Cooper lived like you're just like of all people why did they but it's almost like if they were going to do that they needed to increase their uh, role as characters a touch more and make them more instrumental in the downfall of Weir because really it's all on Fishburn and luckily Fishburn's amazing and we love him and, and like even though he's a hard-ass character we see how his brain works and why he is committed to protecting his crew and so that final battle with Weir makes perfect sense. But I do feel like we needed an emotional reason to care about Cooper and Stark to make that ending a little more satisfying. Um, you know, just something that like there was a reason that maybe uh, Fishburne wants her to live because she's 
maybe she knows something or maybe she's figured out, I don't know, whatever, something. Um, but in the meantime, I'm so interested in the way the movie looks. Like we talked about the set direction. You talked about the portal. We talked about the way Weir looks after he's gone fully bad guy and he's like all Hellraiser looking. Um, like the movie nods to so many other horrors, which I think is really effective because it doesn't, it borrows from them, but, and it's deliberately borrowing and like it lets you know, but it's not like just regurgitating them. Um, so I, I do have to take something off for that, for that ending. Cause I do think they could have worked in a more satisfying ending. Um, but overall, I think uh, prodigy also was a problem, <laughs> but overall, like I like, I like it. I'm so into this film. I'm really interested in what they're going to do with the TV series. Like I think Amazon oh, prime sure. is yeah. working on this. I, but I'm trying to imagine how do you play this out into longer eps? And I think maybe one of the ways is what you talked about, Jamie is maybe the characters who get offed, we need to get more backstory to, you know, decide if they deserve to die or not die. Um, what else could they do with that series? I wonder, like, uh, well, it's, it's, it's the idea of a, this is the idea of a singular incident. It's a rescue mission, right? Yeah. So, so, so exactly. So anyways, I want you to finish. You know, so right. So the series could, the series could dive in deeper, right. And they could do yeah. multiple missions or whatever. Somebody goes yeah. into the black hole and then comes back or whatever. Um, it's funny because it also reminds me of Voyager episodes where they found those aliens that live in a different kind of space where it's not space but liquid. Anyway, <laughs> I wasn't actually I wasn't a huge um, Voyager. Was that Janeway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't a big Janeway. I did it with the Deep Space Nine. I thought it was kind of interesting a bit, and then Next Gen, massive fan. Yeah. So it is. It is a departure from that kind of sci-fi. It's more in line with aliens, which I'm a huge fan of. I don't find it too derivative, but I, I can see the criticism that it is a bunch of films kind of cobbled together, but it's using that classic, you know, ghost story. So let me get to my rating. I think overall it deserves a decent rating. It's a, it's a four for me. It's not a perfect film. It's got some little problems, but overall it's so entertaining. It's just a cool concept. It's, it's really visually well executed. Like the directing I think is great. They definitely yeah. pushed their boundaries with some of the weird shit they tried to pull off with like the whole uh hell sequences but overall i think it's you know just it's a very entertaining and disturbing watch okay so that was four out of five footsteps let me let me start here i was downstairs in my basement and i was editing <laughs> one of the jog casts or i was writing one of the scripts to it and generally when we do a movie is a little bit of an insight into our process here at Running Scared. I generally will throw on a movie that I've seen before and I'll just kind of maybe skim it. And then on my second watch, I watch it pretty intently. And then I generally grab a third watch. And on that first watch, just sort of, I kind of look at it, it puts me in the headspace a little bit. So I'm down here and, you know, I, t I watch a ton of horror films and I don't really get scared. And about um, an hour and 15 minutes into this movie and I'm not even watching it. Like I got my Christmas tree lights on and I just got the little chill up the back of my spine and I was downstairs and I remember just, just took a look behind me. I wrote a little bit more and then I was watching it a little bit and I was kind of pausing just different things because I remember watching this movie a couple of times when I was like younger and I loved it. And then at the end of the movie, I turned the lights off and I left one light on, went up to my top of my stairs and then I was able to turn it off from up there. And what's the point I'm getting at here is that this movie is a creepy film 
And there's something about it that sits with you. And there's something about it that is disturbing. And I think it's a mixture of everything you just talked about. Paul Anderson, he wanted to have more of that graphic imagery, those visions of hell. He wanted that cannibalism, that graphic. But I actually feel like it works perfectly that it's just 15 to 20 seconds of it in the film when they actually see what happens to the crew because it paints the picture in your mind of what what terrifying and and painful and brutal things are out there for this potential crew. So I think the tone of the film and it, the chord struck is absolutely perfectly where it's creepy, it's disturbing, it's it's scary with those jump scares you talked about. One of the big things is this movie runs in at about, I think it's about an hour and 40 minutes. I do not find that any screen time is really wasted. They mm. do not waste time. They get through this film really well. I actually thought the editing was good. And I, and I know he there's an uncut version of more of those visions of hell graphic imagery, but he also has a lot more uh, scenes that were that were shot, that were cut because the studio wanted to get it down to more of that kind of digestible time frame. But I'd love to see this movie. And if it holds up at the two hour mark, you know, you get 15, 20 minutes. But at the 140, I thought it's like really, really cool. It's paced really nicely. It moves really um, uh, smoothly and intensifies as it goes on. And it's just scary. What do we do at Running Scared? We, we talk about scary films and we review them and we write the jog cast and we do all those things and this fits the bill and if i can talk for an hour about one of the ideas or constructs in the movie and the, and hell and how we can interpret it and what it means i'm always thinking it makes me then i love the film it just makes me constantly think about what is being presented in front of me and the fact that it's not just a film it's something more that i can digest so i always like this film you wanted to do this film right when we first started and you know i eventually wanted to get to it i love the idea you know and we did and i love it and we get to the ideas of space and i feel like if it were going to be like a sci-fi horror film it would look like this it would look grimy and gritty and gross and tough and it would feel this way and for the things that you mentioned i don't have so much of a problem as the ending as i do with just some of the you know i almost wish there was less jump scares in the film and more of those chilling scenes like the one Miller and um, or Lawrence Fishburne and Isaac share about what that translation really means, where they're just sitting there talking like a little bit more dialogue, I think would would work as well. Anyways, as a sci fi fan, as a horror fan, I'm definitely a fan of this movie. I think he did a really good job with it. It has generated a cult following in recent years i'm sad for him that it didn't do as well when it first came out but i love it i could watch it tonight and be entertained so i'm going to give this uh four and a half footsteps oh you i just i you know rob we rate high at running scared we we you know we generally pick movies that we both like this one, you know, a little bit more conjecture over some of the elements of it, a little more debate, which is good. But it's a fucking great movie, man. It's it's like, it's a great movie. Well, you that, know, what? It's getting four and a half. Like sci-fi horror, 
not there's not many sci-fi horror films okay because it's a hard one to pull off and it's expensive yeah so you know what i mean like who pulls off good sci-fi maybe you can make a horror film in a farmhouse okay cut that out actually rob <laughs> <laughs> i'm leaving it in now <laughs> and we're gonna get we're gonna get mail in saying guys you gotta make me gotta make a horror film in a farmhouse no you can make it you can there's all these like kind of standard settings but sci-fi and horror is difficult you know what i mean you just have to look at jason x or alien versus predator to see what not to do so, <laughs> so why is he going you know to I mean? space it was just a bad like, you know, those two things did not they're like no they mixed. weren't in space they were like they were like some ice i don't know man that wasn't sci-fi in space but like there was i don't know whatever point is it's event horizon. It's such a cool, you know, we didn't even talk about that. Like, or in your review, it's just a cool concept. Mm-hmm. Like think of the concept of it, right? It's not like super groundbreaking, but it's like really cool and interesting. And you could definitely see how it could get you into trouble. If you were like flying through black holes, trying to get to other spaces in the galaxy. So well, speaking of four and a half that- footsteps, Four and a half success. So, Jamie, we do review movies that we like, but we are going to try to do one that we don't know, but probably won't like. Uh, <laughs> coming up for Christmas, we're going to try to get this out, hopefully before the Christmas day, but at least for the break, we'll have it out. Yeah, uh, we'll get on the break. Yeah. So, we're going to review the movie Krampus next. It'll put you in the Christmas spirit. This Krampus movie, um, I saw parts of it, but I, you know, we'll watch it and we'll just we'll throw a pot on that have a little bit of fun with it which is really good anyways that brings us to all the other things that are going on with running scared right now terrifying tracks that's our mini series our mini pod series on music the first one is out it's doing well the feedback has been really good i ran a poll or we ran a poll and the first mini episode is going to be on uh it's going to be on halloween the work has already been started and then rob and i will get that out to you that's going to be like for all the music geeks out there that really want to get down with it. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. A little short pod you can put on on the way to work. Got the second jog cast out. Blood at Night Part 2. Doing really good. We got Daniel with us. He's part of the crew. He's trying to make it <laughs> trying to make it out of the tombs. <laughs> and we're going to see what happens when uh, you know, when we when we encounter the whole vampire family and we try to we try to haul ass and save the day. We're working on that. Uh, it's going to be good. Rob, what else is happening? Is anything else happening? No. That sums it up, buddy. You got it. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I hope not because I got too much going on for Christmas and I got <laughs> gifts to buy and Amazon to shop on or whatever. Local. Look, try to keep it local too. And Oh, man. I, Christmas is a, such a time where you're just like, God, I just don't feel like I get a moment to myself. Um, I did... I did get a, a, a few moments uh, recently to knock out a new YouTube video for my kid where we play with Duplo oh, yeah, toys. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that's that actually it was really it, cool, man. I was watching it. If you get like, you know, six and under, I don't know what, what's the age break on Duplo. I mean, my kid's deep into Lego <laughs> now, but we still use Duplo because we have more stuff. Anyway, uh, we did a good Spider-Man movie that he, uh, he had a lot to do with. So check that out on my YouTube if you want to look me up. Um, that covers us today on uh, Running Scared, I think, James. Yeah, no, this is really good. We, yeah, yeah I, lots of good stuff coming out. Just, mm. uh, you know, through the holidays, I got a little bit of time off from school. I know I have a little bit of time off from work. We got family, but we're going to get some more content out to you. So just so you know, send us an email at the Running Scared Podcast at gmail.com. 
You can follow us on Twitter at Running Scared PD. Follow us on uh, follow us on Instagram at Running Scared Pod. Uh, if you want to come support us, you know we'll always say yay to that. You can find us on Patreon uh, and give us a review. Five stars are good. We just got a recent one, which is four, which is good as well. But just reviews are awesome. It's nice to hear back from people that are listening to the podcast. So that's it for Event Horizon. We will do Krampus next. And for yeah. those of you out there celebrating, don't go too hard. Stay safe. Happy holidays from the boys here at Running Scared. The Running Scared podcast is written and produced by Jamie Roberts and Robert Lendrum, with original music by Jamie Roberts, edited by Robert Lendrum. Reach out to us on social media. And tune in next time for another edition of Running Scared. We're leaving. <laughs>